Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hi, Scott. How's it going this week? It's good. We got another question this week that we're going to work through. Sweet. Always we love to get to do that. Love listener questions. I know I said it last time, but guys, send in your questions because it helps us not only help you, but help others. Yes. Yes. And so this question is from Sam. Thank you, Sam. And the message or the question is, uh, thanks all your, for all you're doing with this podcast. I was interested if you had any advice on where to keep the money we are saving over the next five years. I'm saving for school over the next year, but besides that, considering what to do with the additional money we are saving for a house in the next five to seven years. Would the current state of the economy influence what you do with these savings? I like this question because some of our topics, many of our topics, is kind of looking at uh, one aspect of finance in a vacuum to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And this is just a real life question of I'm saving, I'm saving for school, I'm saving for a house, there's stuff going on in the economy. And it's kind of a holistic picture of what do I do given all these different things and what are the trade-offs? Yep, absolutely. Where would you like to start? Uh, Let's start with this. So there's two things talking about saving for college over the next five years. No, saving for for college, I think, to start next year. Next year. Yeah. Over the next five to seven years. So what this is going to come down to is there's there's two parts. Is number one, what do I do with a five to seven year saving or investment time horizon? And then number two, would the current state of the economy influence what you do with these savings? Mm -hmm. The next part of the question. Mm Mm-hmm. I, it depends on how much of a gamble you're willing to take. Absolutely. And what what your comfort level is with saving versus investing. And what we can help to do is quantify those trade-offs and then help to give some direction. But then it's really going to be a personal decision on yeah. what you'd like to do with that. Agreed. So I think that um, it comes down to how much, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, people think can think that, probabilities equal like certainty sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Like, like it's something that I know we'll speak to clients about often. Um, you know, the S&P 500, as far back as time goes, has generated a return of around 10%. Right. So people think, okay, it's going to earn 10%. Right. But it never, ever, ever earns 10%, yep, right? Never has. There are periods of time where it earns more than 10%. There are periods of time where it earns less than 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's give a simple example. 2000 to 2009, S&P 500 had a negative return. For 10 years in a row. Right. For that- Up and down, up that, and down. For that 10 years, it start, you started with more money in 2000 than you ended with in 2009, um, just from, the, from the, the price appreciation standpoint of the stock market over 10 years in that period of time. Now, on average, from 1926 all the way through, it's about 10% per year, but you hit a period of time where it didn't shake out in your favor. Well, right. And that, that average doesn't mean anything to the saver who says, okay, it's 2000. I'm going to save for a home in 10 years. I'm going to invest all my money in the S&P 500 to right. let it grow for me. 
well, who cares what the historical average is? You lost money over the next 10 years. Which is the whole point, right? There's there's kind of the probability of what will happen versus the certainty of what will happen. Right. We No one can give you certainty. Mm-hmm. That's the whole reason why we say it depends, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think when we, if we want to gauge big picture, I think that the the it depends. If you have a need for money in two years or less, we would probably say, don't you dare invest any of that money in the stock market. Yep. You start to get into a five to seven year period and it's like, well, you 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 might want to put some in there, but we, you know, you have to be okay that it may turn out being less. Right. So you have to know that you're putting money on the table and you may end up with less and some of it may go to the house. Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> or not your house. <laughs> not to, your house, but, but to house. Mr. Market. Right? Mr. Market's house. Um, and then if you get beyond that, the probabilities work in your favor to go invest more in the market, right? I think that's where we kind of start this conversation. I think so too, is the answer is neither Scott nor I have any idea what's going to happen to the stock markets over the next five to seven years. But what we can do is we can just walk through history. And if history is any guide, again, not that it's going to predict what can happen, but just give us some guardrails of what could you p- expect with an investment over a five to seven year time horizon. So why don't we go through some of that? just to provide some perspective. Yeah, so why don't we just start with the concept of putting probabilities in your favor? And let's just think through the concept of like the S&P 500, that's the 500 largest companies in the US, right? We can all go buy an index fund of the S&P 500 if we wanted to, which would just be basically putting some money in that stock market. Yep. What's the um, daily percentage chance that the S&P 500 wins? Yeah, so if you go back over, I think this is like the last 80 or 90 years, and you you invest money 53% of the time, if you just pick a random day to invest in, you're going to make money putting money in the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. Well, the flip side of that is 47% of the time you're going to lose money. Yeah. So if you are investing and in, in you have a 53% probability of making money, but also a 47% probability of losing money, well, that's probably not good probability if you're trying to save and invest for something like a, a home purchase. Right. Now, that's only a daily return and you would never invest your money just for one day to save for a home. But let's see what happens as you start to to extend that time period. If instead of looking at daily returns, you look at monthly returns. Yeah. Well, 63% of the time, you have a positive outcome. So 37% of the time, it's a negative outcome. Right. And then if we flip it to annual returns, 73% of the time, the S&P 500 won. Yeah. And which means 27% of the time, it did not. Mm-hmm. And then five years. So if you look at all five-year rolling returns over the past several decades, 88% of the time, you're going to make money. And 12% of the time, you're going to lose money. Yeah. So so you start to see the trend. And then if you extend it to 10 years, well, 90, 94% of the time, the S&P has made money. And over 20-year rolling time periods, there's never been a 20-year rolling time period where, where it hasn't. Which is why when you hear people say, hey, long-term investing, it's not all about the ups and downs. Those don't truly matter because you have enough time on your side to get through those. So if you're saving for something 20 plus years away, so what with the ups and downs? Yeah. yeah it's painful. It's not fun, but it's, it's going to be okay long-term at least if it's anything like we've seen historically. Yeah. But I'm going to go back to five years. Five years, 88% of the time, you're going to make money. So if you're thinking about saving for a house, and again, this is just looking at big US stocks you're investing in and the Mm -hmm. S&P 500, um, are you okay with those odds? I guess would be my question. Uh, Or the other, yes, that and the other side of that is, the flip side of that is, are you okay with the fact that 12% of the time you're going to have less than you saved? Right. Right. And so that's where I think it comes to the idea of like room for error. 
mm-hmm. which is really what financial planning and, and it's is really all about resiliency and creating room for error, knowing that we don't know what the future is. So let's make the best plan we can and then let's make uh, some assumptions and let's go try. Yeah. And let's make adjustments along the way. Yeah. Because, you know, you if you know that in five to seven years you need to have um, I don't know, say $100,000 saved. Well, you could go figure out how much do I need to save just in cash to go save that $100,000 um, and start saving that. And perhaps you do go invest it in some of it in the stock market and some of it you put in cash or in the bank account. Um, and if it go, does better than that in the end, well, now you can buy a slightly nicer house if you want. Yeah. Uh, the other side of that is you have to be okay that if it doesn't do as well, you either prolong when you buy the house, because now you have to save more, mm-hmm. or you choose to buy a less expensive home. Yes. Because it didn't shake out the way that you wanted it to. Right. And, and that's where understanding those trade-offs are so helpful, is if you definitely need these funds in five years, and if you definitely have a minimum amount that you need to have, investing might not make sense, because you might not have that if it's not a great stock right. market outcome over the next five years. If you're okay pushing that or delaying it, then it might be fine. Yep. Which is where, like, to me, how I would view this, if I was in Sam's shoes, is I would think about what's the baseline minimum I want to have saved for my home in five to seven years. Mm -hmm. I would start saving that um, in a really conservative manner, personally. Mm -hmm. Like, probably online savings account. I would say a bond account, but bond accounts don't really, almost have, they're going to have negative yields right now, right? Right. They're not going to be earning a whole lot for you either. Right. Um, And that's a, it's a a fairly stable and safe place to have money invested. Um, So that, that could be a good place to go. And then from there, if I have excess savings on top of that, well, that could be an interesting amount of money to go put into things like the markets Mm -hmm. because then I'm, I'm keeping my baseline. So I get that house that I want in five to seven years. Yeah. But I'm also investing on top of that so that if something goes really well and I want to get a better house in the future, well, great. Or I could use that for other things in the future as well. Yeah. So I'm just creating resiliency for myself. Yeah, exactly. And, and then there's the concept too that the, this type of investing that we're talking about right here and those specific numbers, again, that's unique and specific to just investing 100% in the S&P 500. Yeah. That's not the only way to invest. And in fact, if we want to say, well, for a five to seven year time period, maybe you don't take a 100% stock portfolio as your investment strategy, there's other ways of doing that. And do you, do you want to walk through what some alternatives might look like, Scott, as opposed to just that? Sure. So, you know, um, if we can look back over history, and history is never going to tell you, history never predicts the future, but it can help you create some guidelines for what is to come. Now, saying that the big caveat is, bigger downsides can come as well as bigger upsides can come. So, you know, even though we, we kind of mentioned some markers here, it doesn't mean that they're absolute. Yeah. Right. It just helps you understand, give you a framework to think about this. But if we think about the S and P 500 and you think about the rolling returns of five year returns, just as, as the data that we have, I think it's basically from the late mid seventies through 20 August of 2020 for the data we were able to pull up the average return for the S and P 500, um, was about 11%. The best five-year return was from August of 1982 on at 29%. And the worst return was from March of 2004 on at negative 6.63%. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that is that's not just negative 6.63% total. That's 
per year for five years on average. Yeah. Yeah. Which means you lost somewhere close to thirty percent of your of your money. Or right. So. so if you'd saved a hundred K and it was sitting in there right before that market downturn happened for this S P five hundred, you were down to like seventy grand. Exactly. But but that this is such a great illustration of that point that you just made, Scott, of the average return during this time period was eleven percent in the S P five hundred. That does not mean you're going to get 11% each year. Your, your range of outcomes could be as low as negative uh, 6.5% annualized for five years in a row, as high as almost 30% annualized for five years in a row. Yep. Those are going to create two very different outcomes. One is going to be an incredible outcome. One's going to be a pretty kind of a bummer of an outcome. Oh, yeah. In terms of you're, you're probably not buying the home that you thought you were going to buy. So this is where it goes back to your personal comfort level with that. Um, but at the same time, this isn't the only thing that you could invest in. Is, is there a different way of thinking about investing that maybe lessens some of the negative outcomes? Yep. So obviously we've talked in the past about you can invest in the stock market is one place. Another place you can put money is in the bond market. So the bond market kind of acts like a ballast for the stock market. Kind of the, the, the main driver of, well, the main driver from the 80s through is to also increase return and add income. But with rates as low as they are now, the true point of bond income is or bond on the portfolio is really going to be to help be a cushion for blows against the stock market. Right. Right. But if we look at the data from for five year returns for a 60% um, stock portfolio, 40% bond portfolio. So that'd be thinking like the S and P 500 and then basically the U S bond market, um, that five year average rolling return for the data set was about 10.3% per year. So you didn't get the 117 you got less, but you also had more ballast in the portfolio. So it was helping you. Um, and then the best return there was 24%. And the worst return was 1.7%. Yeah. And just to compare that to the S&P, so the all-stock portfolio, the worst five-year return was negative 6.6% for five years. Right. Compared to a 60-40 portfolio, more balanced portfolio, the the worst return is not as bad. You yeah, lost so now you're 1. down. 1.7 per year. You lost what? Nine percent or so. That's ground up and call it ten, right? Over five years. Yeah, not ideal, but it's it's also lessening that blow of it's it's better than being down thirty over the same time period. So, going back to the question of are you, what should you do with a five to seven year time horizon? This comes back to how flexible are you able to be with this? Do you need those funds or do you have some flexibility? And then just what's your personal comfort level with this? If you crave certainty and if you crave knowing what's going to happen with as little variance as possible, you maybe don't want to invest it. The, Correct. The, the, the uncertainty maybe isn't worth the, the potential growth that you might get. Yep. But if you have tons of flexibility and you're totally fine with the uncertainty, yeah, that, that, that might be something that you could consider. Maybe an all-stock portfolio, but probably closer to something that's, that's more moderate, yep. um, depending on your comfort level. But it's just going to come back to your personal personal situation. And obviously, we just gave two examples. You could do anything from keep, you know, all of it in cash to uh, keep all of it in stocks, which we kind <laughs> of looked at, you know, with the S&P 500 to a, a moderate 60-40 portfolio to invest 20% in the stock market and 80% in the bond market, yeah. right? And it really just comes down to like, where do you feel comfortable? Yeah. Um, I do think another little caveat is um, if you're thinking about buying a home in a few years, get a sense of what you'd want to buy a home for now. Mm-hmm. Get a sense of what it would cost for your your um, principal and your interest for your property taxes, for your insurance and for maintenance of the home. Just take, think of like 1% of the value of the home. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and put all those things together and then look at what you pay in rent right now. And then just start saving the difference every single month yeah. um, for the home. Now, maybe maybe Sam's already doing this and he's already ahead of that. Yeah. If he is, great. But if he's not, start saving that amount so you'll know. It's always good to know what it feels like cash flow wise to own a home before you go own one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And the, and the way that ties into this too is if, say, using Sam in this example, if he does that and he goes, oh, I, I can't save as much as I thought I would be able to, maybe that pushes the time horizon instead of five to seven years, maybe it's closer to eight to 10 years. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, that also goes back to the decision of to invest or not to invest because different time horizons is going to drive different decisions as to what's the best investment mix or saving mix to get you where you want to go. Absolutely. Um, Anything else for this? Uh, Last thing he asked is, would the current state of the economy influence what you do with these savings? To me, not so much. It's, It's when you're, I think Nick Murray has a, line all all successful planning or all successful investing is planning based Mm -hmm. and goal focused all unsuccessful planning is is market based and trying to prognosticate what's going to happen and and not saying that the current state of the economy and everything that's going on doesn't matter it absolutely does but there's always a crazy state of the economy or what's going on politically or what's going on internationally there's always something going on excellent point and and to that matter um you know you look at uh, when you invest, you can invest in specific countries and specific sectors and specific, you know, the more, the more specifically defined you get, the, the bigger the risk and reward can be. Right. Um, so, so investing globally can be helpful too, but, but also just exactly to your point, like none of us know what the future holds. So it's really about planning for the future with the best information we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just sitting and waiting. Right. Exactly. So, Awesome. Well, thank you, Sam, for the question. Uh, Anyone else listening, if you have a question, we would love to answer it on a future episode. You can submit that through our website. And other than that, that's all I got. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.